Amen. Well, it's, uh, God is good, and He is uh, uh, so good to us. We've been studying the church. Um, if you've been here, you know that. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, thank you for being here. I encourage you to go over to our Welcome Center. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, we want to give you a gift, say thank you, and uh, just be a blessing to you, hopefully. But in our study, uh, we've learned some important lessons, uh, or at least we've seen some important lessons. Hopefully, we've learned them. Uh, but primarily about who the church is, uh, what the church does, what's its purpose, what's, what's its mission, why we're here, um, all those things. Again, how our lives should look in light of Scripture. You know how easy it is to get swallowed up in the world and the world system, right? We, uh, we, we live in this world and we have to live according to some of the world's uh, rules and standards and, and, and not standards, but rules and, and uh, regulations, if you will, and um, it, it can be difficult as a Christians, Christian to live in this world and not just get swallowed up by the world. We all are uh, susceptible to that, to just being swallowed up in the world system and living our lives in the world and even turning into living our lives for the world. And last week we talked, the last point that we talked about was spiritualizing fleshly desires, fleshly actions, and fleshly speech isn't walking in the spirit. We're commanded to walk in the spirit so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And uh, again, a, a lesson that we learned from Simon the sorcerer, uh, supposedly the Bible says that he believed, uh, whether that was a, a, a saving belief or not, uh, Peter rebuked him because of his request. And his request was, uh, he thought uh, that the desires he had drove him to think uh, that he could purchase something spiritual, namely laying his hands or praying for somebody and them receiving the Holy Spirit and uh, using that power to evidently benefit him, he was envious of what the, uh, the apostles, John and Peter, uh, the abilities they had that God had given them in doing all this. Uh, but what he, we see, he was driven by that flesh. He was driven by a selfish, envious, sinful desire. But we, taught, we saw that he sprinkled that, those actions, that request with spiritual talk. Uh, the last part of his statement was, so that anyone who I lay my hands, but anyone who I pray for will receive the Holy Spirit. And somebody said, well, that's a, that's a really good, and that's sometimes all that we hear is the spiritualized talk and don't see the motive or the decision or the thought or the words. And again, we talked about how today, I believe we have dumbed down the importance of this, of the church. Um, now more than ever, if, if you as a child of God can't see spiritually, the overwhelming attack the, over, the, the enemy's all-out assault on everything God, then I would encourage you this morning to ask God to open your spiritual eyes. Because there is, I mean, we're talking about people not wanting to call a male a male and a female a female. We're talking about people saying that, you know, it's okay to marry someone other than the opposite sex. We, I mean, we, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And the question for us as the people of God is, as we're living on this earth during this time, who are we going to be? What are we going to be? What are we going to do? I mean, does it matter to us? Or are we so wrapped up in the world that we just want to live our lives, do our thing, and go day to day like that? We've dumbed down the importance of the church. Throughout the church history, it's been the church that has been the spiritual force. With the Holy Spirit, of course. The people of God united in the mission to be the church. And it's been the church that has held back the, the, the waves of unrighteousness. It's been the church 
that has taken the, back the ground because the, the, the people of God. So you know what? We're here for a purpose, and it's not for us. It's not for the world. It's not to see how much we can get or do or gain or anything like that. We even, I believe, attempt to do what Simon did. We make this church being the church, gathering as the church. We talked about that last week. We make it what we want it. And we connect to the church when we want it. All while attempting to justify that type of lifestyle with spiritualized talk. There's never going to be a revival if that's how we live our lives. It just won't happen. You see the world we're living in? It's going to continue to go down the toilet. And the only hope for this world is Jesus. The only, the only thing that, 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 it's not me, it's not you, it's not anything that we have. We can't come with wit or, or, or knowledge or intellect or talent or abilities. The only hope for this world is Jesus Christ. And the, the Holy Spirit, the gospel has been entrusted to us. And if we don't wake up and start living like the church, in a few years we're going to be like, what happened? How did we get here? But when we live our lives, connect to the church, and treat it however we want to, we're not only hurting the testimony of Christ to the lost world that needs him so desperately, we're also setting up the next church, the next generation, for ultimate failure in the spiritual battle that they'll face. We want to see our kids fail miserably in a spiritual battle? Then let's keep going the way that we're going. And again, some do this by skipping gathering what we're doing today skipping assembling skipping churching to worship god something that he has called his people to do from the old testament to the new testament without excuse without substitute we talked about last week how some who profess to be christians skip this important god commanded vital spiritual spiritual force gathering for worldly things and then sprinkle that with biblical untruths, spiritualized talk, so that they feel better and in hopes that it sounds good to others. But if we're fleshly and we're divided and we only gather and do this when we want and do it how we want, not seeing the eternal importance and relation, relational importance to God as his body, to each other as the body, and we're going to be weak in the battle against the evil in this world. And again, the next generation, these teenagers in here, the kids in here, they're only going to learn spiritual weakness. And again, ultimately setting them up for spiritual fa uh, failure. I share what Ignatius said about gathering and unity and what the importance of this is. Again, Ignatius, hundreds, thousands of years ago, it said, when you frequently and in numbers meet together, talking about the church, the powers of Satan are overthrown. And his mischief is neutralized by your like-mindedness in the faith. To neglect such assembling together might end in apostasy at last. You see, for this type of reality, this type of challenge given to the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, it stirs in you whether it's conviction or whether it's passion, it stirs in you to say, yes, I don't want to see the next generation go down spiritually. 
Yes, I want to be more closely connected with Jesus. I want to be more closely connected with, with the body uh, 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 of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be a, a part of that force that is unmoved in this world, that, that takes back the ground that Satan has taken. But if you're not a, a child of God and you hear something like that, it, it puts you off. But you are all here and you're present this morning. I think it's important for us to guard against what Simon did. Doing something fleshly, doing something worldly, even discounting being here, the, the fact that we are here, not to hear me, not to hear how the music goes, but to worship Almighty God, our Lord, our Savior, to, to be united in His Word, to gather lessons, and to, to be challenged or convicted or encouraged or reminded. But it's vital that we're here. And so to discount being here and then sprinkle it with spiritualized talk and turn around and think that God is pleased with spiritualized disobedience, woe to us if that's, if that's the case. This is eternally vital that we're here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and the challenge that it gives me, the conviction it brings me. Lord, thank you for the encouragement, edification, Lord. Uh, the reminders that you give to us every day, uh, just as we were reading in Scripture during the, the song service, Lord, the, just the, the goodness that you pour out in our lives and, and how you just love us so dearly, Lord. We, we are your people, bought by your blood, your church. Lord, help us not try to make it what we want it. Help us to not approach it in a way that the world or even carnal Christianity defines it should be. Lord, help us to be your people how you've called us to be, your people. Lord, this morning I pray your spirit would move, and if there is somebody here that doesn't have a real relationship with you, intimate relationship with you through faith in Christ alone, I pray that today would be that day it changes for them. Today would be the day that they are born again and their, new, their life is new, all their sins washed away and forgiven. Lord, just move in a great way. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we left off in chapter 8. Peter was rebuking Simon, and it was clear by his words and the request that he gave, again, by Peter's rebuke, that Simon was motivated by envy, and Peter called it sin, iniquity. Uh, he, he, he then further reveals either his lack of faith or his lack of discipleship in the faith, because if he did get saved, he just got saved. Maybe it was a struggle with what he had known for so long, this sorcery, this power, this influence over people, the, the gratification that it brought him, the esteem that it brought him, regardless of what it, what, what it was, but he doesn't pray for himself. Peter said, pray that God, that the, these things don't come upon you, but he asked Peter to pray. He doesn't pray, say, so, you know what, Peter, you're right, I'm wrong. I, I, my heart's wrong, I desired it for the wrong reason, I was jealous, I was envious, I wanted the power that seemed to be more powerful than the power I had before, and I wanted it so that people looked at me and, 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 and just were in awe of me. But he doesn't pray. He asked Peter to pray that none of the judgment that Peter said would come upon him would actually happen. And so in spite of this distraction, this bump in the road, again, for the believers of Jesus Christ, lives are still being changed. God is still working wonders. This is a junky situation, right? I mean, think about Philip. 
Philip goes in there. He was, the, the church has been scattered. Only the apostles remained at Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria at the Spirit's leading, a place that was despised, the people that were despised by the Jews. Again, we've talked about this. Jesus had transformed their mindset while his ministry was here on the earth about the Samaritans. And so Philip goes down there and preaches. And the Bible says there's great joy in that city. Many believed and were baptized. I mean, revival was going on in this city. And then this bump in the road with Simon, this person who has the wrong perspective, this person who has the wrong desire, this person who, again, issue with inside the church, if you will. It's a junkie situation. But I love the fact that regardless of what the church faces, the gospel continues to move forward. The gospel keeps moving forward. Verse 25 is where we pick up. So when they had testified, they're talking about Peter and John, charged and exhorted uh, is what that means. They preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many of uh, many villages of the Samaritans. Again, talking about Peter and John, they were apostles. That's why they came down. That's why they were the ones that laid it. That's why the Holy Spirit, all those things were signifying God's stamp, God's authority. They were the foundation, part of the foundation of the church. And so they go back in obedience to what Jesus had told them to do, right? It probably would have been a little bit easier for them to stay in Samaria, right? A little bit, they, uh, hey, Philip was popular at this point in time. John and Peter come down, lay their hands on, pray for the people. They, they receive the Holy Spirit. Man, this seems like it might be a little bit easier ministry for them than to go back to Jerusalem where it's only the apostles. Remember that great, huge church, thousands of people. The Bible says everyone was scattered everywhere except for the apostles. They alone remain in Jerusalem. Peter and John go down into Samaria. Then they go back to Jerusalem in obedience to what Christ had told them to do. Man, it'd be a lot easier to go over here. Nope. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and be where God has called us to be. So they go back in obedience, no matter what the challenge was. And I love the fact, and praise God, for the faithfulness of the preaching to the least of these. Uh, they, they, they could have said, look, we, we preached in, in, in this, this area of Samaria. Lots of people got saved. We're just going to book them back to Jerusalem, get back to our family, get back to our home, get back to normalcy, even though there's great persecution. But they didn't. The Bible says that they preached in all the, the many villages along the way back to Jerusalem. It's almost like that they, they understood that they were on an eternal mission, that they weren't here for themselves that they were here for comfort and convenience in the world, that they actually had an eternal purpose for being here. And again, I want to remind you, the Samaritans were lower-class citizens they, to the Jews. They, they were considered filthy and, and, and didn't want to despise, didn't want to have anything to do with them. But these men taught through many villages. And it encourages me, and I want to encourage us, may our faithfulness, May the, the, the believers in Trinity Baptist Temple, may our faithfulness to share the gospel not be based on convenience or comfort either. May it not be based on who we like or who we don't like or who we're close to or who we're not close to or whether we feel uh, you know, comfortable doing it or not. Again, whether there's bumps in the road in our life or distractions that come along, may we simply be faithful all the time, everywhere, every time point one this morning is this we should faithfully share the gospel regardless of what comes against us simon i mean think about what the, the church has been through there's there's been 
uh, persecution. They've seen deaths. They, they, they've had people lie to the Holy Spirit, fall down dead. They've been murmuring. There's been problems. There's been all these things, but the church has stayed united. They've stayed connected. They've stayed assembled. They've stayed, even when they were, even when they were separated, they stayed on mission. And the Lord just kept blessing and kept blessing. But it, but it encourages us and it reminds us of the fact that we are to be sharing the gospel regardless of what comes against us. And so I put on here a, a few uh, keys to faithfully sharing the gospel. You, man, you got stuff going on in your life. You got bumps in the road. You got distractions going on. You got frustrations. You got busyness. You got all these things going on in your life. But why are you here as a child of God? said it many times, why, it, it, why would God leave if he loves us so much that he would die for us? Like, I don't know anybody who has that kind of love. It's, the, it's inside of us. But God has demonstrated a kind of love that is otherworldly. It's, it's godly love. It's divine love. He, he died for sinners, the most vilest of sinners that we could ever think of. He died for the sins of those well, including ours, all, all of ours together. Amazing love. That type of love that would die for the vilest of sinners. Why, if he loves us so much, if he cares so deeply for us, to, to, to give us his Holy Spirit and to give us his... Why, why, why does he leave us here? Why does he leave us in the filth? Why does he leave us here with the craziness of the world crashing in around us with problems and, and issues and all kinds of... Why does God keep us here? Because there is eternal purpose and a mission. He said, I don't feel very important. Look, the fact that you're still breathing means that you're important to God. You're a part of his plan, not just to save you and leave you home. Go make all the money you want. Go have fun in this world. That's why I'm leaving you here. No. The, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, look, you know what? You can do all of that and gain the whole world. Gain all fame, fortune, stuff, relationships, everything. And at the end, you'll feel empty because it's all empty in this world. Why are you here? You're here for an eternal purpose. So there's, again, it's clear. Jesus, the last thing he said to the disciples, go to all the world and, and, and preach, preach the gospel to all nations. That's why I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here I'm going to go to be with the Father. I'm going to leave you here with this mission that I started. And then I'm going to eventually come back. And I'm going to take you to be where I'm, I am forever. But until then, he gave all kinds of parables. Be the, be the faithful steward. Be the, be the one who, who, who doesn't hide his talent in the earth. Be the one that is found, found so doing when his, when his Lord returns. Be faithful to the mission regardless of what comes against you. So the first thing that has to happen, if, you're going to, if we're going to faithfully share the gospel, is you've got to be saved. You have to be saved. You have to have a relationship with the Lord. You have to understand what it is to be saved. I'm not saying that there haven't been lost preachers or lost evangelists or lost people who thought they were saved, that shared the gospel with people, that ended up getting saved. But I believe if you're going to faithfully share the gospel, you have to be first saved. And second of all, you must walk in intimacy and fellowship with Christ. In other words, you know, the, the more you get to know somebody, the more you get to know their heart, the more what is in their heart and how they feel matters to you. The further, further you are from them, the less you care. 
about what's in their heart. It happens in relationships. It happens at work. It can happen to church. But if you're going to faithfully share the gospel, you've got to walk daily in intimacy with the Lord. You've got to learn his heart. You've got to be close to his heart. And the next thing is you've got to stay unified in the body for the mission to matter. You've got to stay unified in the body of Christ for it to, to, to matter. Because being disconnected from the body of Christ, not having that connection to the, the church, then you lose the purpose. I mean, you can go be a lone ranger, but that's nowhere in Scripture. Even Philip. Philip was going down as a part of the church. He, he wasn't out there just wandering and doing his own thing. He was on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. That's why Peter and John came down, because they got word. Hey, this is what's going on. We've got to go do this. But it's not, again, Philip, personal, it was a personal uh, mission, but it was a collective mission as well. Verse 25, again, I want to remind you, it says, so when they had testified, Peter and John, it's a collective thing, they returned to Jerusalem, again, together. Number four, you must pray for the lost. If you're going to faithfully share the gospel, it's got to be something that is on your heart enough, close enough to the Lord enough, connected to the church enough, that you're daily praying for those who are lost, especially those people that are in your life. And you know people that are lost? Your friends, your neighbors, co-workers, family members, you should be praying for them. And I think that goes into number five, too. You have to pray for a broken heart for the lost. I've said many times before, you pray about what you care about, and you care about what you pray about. If, if, if it doesn't bother you that people are dying and going to hell, you're not going to feel like you need to do anything about it because it doesn't bother you. You got a family member that will burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity, and that doesn't hurt your heart. You should pray, God, break my, break my heart for the lost. And make it matter to me. You got a, you got a friend that, that you, you hang out with, or you talk with, or a coworker, or a neighbor, or whatever. You should pray, God, I want my heart to be broken as I pray for them. I, I want to see them saved. Number six, you must choose obedience over convenience or comfort. And that's probably one of the most difficult ones. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's been times that out of whether comfort or convenience, I have not shared the gospel. And it breaks my heart to this day to think how many times that have happened. And that I'm having to stand before the Lord, that I had the glorious gospel, the only thing that can save somebody's soul. I had it. It saved my soul. I had it. I had the opportunity. And out of comfort and convenience, I just said, well, not now. It's not a good time. But it's a choice. You have to choose, choose obedience over comfort, convenience. Number seven, you have to live by faith. That means acting on what you say you believe. If you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that the only alternative for people who don't trust him for salvation is the eternal lake of fire that was reserved and designed for Satan and his demons, if we really believe that, how can we not act on that? Charles Spurgeon said, have you no concern for others to be saved, then you yourself are not saved. Man. Penn Gillette, I shared this many years uh, in our evangelism training. I came across it years ago and said, uh, man, that's powerful. But he gives this, this kind of uh, diary online. Uh, I don't know what it was at the time. FaceTime, I don't, I don't know if it was that or, or whatever, but he, he's recording himself talking about a man that had given him a Bible had waited for him after one of his shows. Fingelet's an atheist, a known atheist and a, and a magician. And uh, he's talking to the camera and he's, and he's saying, you know, I, I, I really respect this guy. Now I know that, he, this is Fingelet saying, oh, I know that there's no God. 
But I really respect this man because at least he, he did what he believed. He gave me a Bible, and in the Bible he had written some verses that mattered to him, and he, he tried to proselytize me, you know, try to convert me over. Uh, and he said, very kind man, I just, just sincere. He wasn't fake, he just, he just really wanted to see me be converted. He said, I respect that. Because he was willing to act on what he said he believed. He went on to say, if you really believe that there's only one way to heaven, and that there is, that's the only way to avoid hell, if you believe those things, he, this is the quote he said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody if you really believe that the only hope for your friend, your family member, your neighbor, your co-worker, that stranger, the only, you really believe that it may be the only opportunity they have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ is through you who already has it, and, and you don't share that with them, how much does that say that you actually hate them to not share it with them? I don't care if you go to hell or not. That's what an atheist interpreted as not sharing this eternally important news. We're, gonna, we're not going to see a change in our region like the Samaritans saw in their area by seeking to live a comfortable, self-centered, I'll do Christianity my way kind of life. That's not how we're going to see a change in, in, the, in the next generation and all the stuff that they're facing. All the stuff that the kids and the teens are facing that, that we as adults see that are here and that are coming, they have no hope if we continue to live a comfortable, self-centered, I'll do Christianity my way kind of life. No hope. We won't see a change in our community, in our region, if we're focusing on politics or we focus on race. Or we focus on whatever other Simon the Sorcerer type distraction that the enemy throws at us. What changed the Samaritans then, what changed their region, and what still changes lives and regions today is the unified church of Jesus Christ faithfully sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of what comes against us. That's, that's how it's going to happen today. I'll look on real quick. I'm going to try to hurry. Verse 26, now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, listen to these next three words. This is desert. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's not interesting to you, but I mean, I've always thought, it's interesting. Just throw that in there. I mean, we know that's a desert area, but the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, inspiring Luke to, 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 to chronicle these things down, and, and he happens to put the fact that that region is desert. Just had there was great joy. There was great things happening. Man, he just went from, man, I want to be a part of that. That was revival going on in Samaria. There was great joy in that city. They were, they were rejoicing. They were worshiping. People's lives being transformed. People being baptized. Hundreds, probably thousands of people. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that and involved in that? And the Holy Spirit says, okay, now go to the desert. Wait. Why? Can I hang out with these guys a little more? It's exciting being around new believers that are, that are excited about the Lord, that want to worship God and want to share the gospel, want to live for the Lord. It's awesome being around one, but thousands of them. Can I hang out here? Why don't I go to the desert? I go over there by the sea. Why can't I go to the desert? 
Uh, again, I love the little nuggets that God puts in his word. What is the desert? Well, we know it as the dry place, a difficult land, a lonely place. Say, man, I am there spiritually. I'm there in my life. One thing after the other, I just feel dry. I feel lonely. It's just difficult. Why did God send me to this desert? Again, the reality is in our Christian lives, we all go to the desert and through the desert. And the amazing thing about that is, is God, in his sovereign love and wisdom, sends us to the desert and through the desert. You say, why would God do that? Man, this has been difficult. This season of our life, this season of my life, has been so miserable. Why would God send us here? It's all, all often for a purpose, beyond our understanding. Again, we may never know why God sent us to this desert, why, why it was such a large desert. But Christian, know 100% that it is for a purpose. No doubt about it. Sometimes the purpose involves others. A lot of times it does involve others. And sometimes it is just for us. It's not always about us. But we often make it about us. Right? You get to that desert place. It's, it's dry. You, 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 you don't have any desire really to... You know you're supposed to be at church. You should be at church. It's what God has called, ordained, commanded, all those things. But you just really don't feel it. You, you try to read your, your Bible, you just don't feel it. You, you have no inspiration to pray because you feel spiritually dry. You feel disconnected from people. You feel lonely. You feel discouraged, defeated, all those D words. <laughs> Depressed. Say, my God, do you have me here? Well, first of all, I want to remind you, it's not always about you. It involves you. But it may not always be about you. That's why it's so important to stay faithful even in the desert. Number two, the Lord takes us to and through the desert for specific purposes and people. God's business is soul business. Again, that's why, that's why the earth is still here. That's why people are still here and God hasn't just struck down the earth again. That's why he had not just wiped out all the, the evil in the world. You know, that's a great question. Why? Why? Why is there so much evil in the world still? If God has all power, why don't you just wipe them all out? Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So why? Because God's still saving sinners. The door is still open for lost people to enter in, like there was a period for the ark, for, pe for, for people to enter in in Noah's day. The door is open. At one point in time, God shut that door. And at some point in, in, in the future, God's going to shut the door. It's going to be over. No more opportunities to be saved. And judgment will come. He will deal with unrighteousness and ultimately cast all evil and unrighteousness into the lake of fire forever. That's when it will be dealt with. But right now, the door is open. Because his business is soul business. And once our soul is redeemed, once you and I have already been saved and, and forgiven then our pursuit should be the heart of the one who saved us. 
As I said, said a while ago about being faithful in the gospel, so how are you going to be faithful? If you're pursuing the heart of God, if you are pursuing him and caring only about pleasing him, then I promise you this, what God cares about will matter to you above all. Not only are souls his business, they are his heart. As I said a while ago, God so loved the world that he gave. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 1, we'll read this real quick. It says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Talking to Christians, you used to walk in those things, following the course of this world. See how there's a difference? People who used to be lost, used to live in the world and for the world according to the course of the world. You used to do that, he said to Christians. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We used to live being driven by what pleased us, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, I love this, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. In his mercy, in his love, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, it's going to be amazing. Right now we see the blessing dropped in our lives and see the blessings and faithfulness of God on a daily basis. But to see the fullness of the mercy and the grace of God in the presence of God for all of eternity in that, in that place, in that new heaven, new earth, is mind-blowing. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, no eye has seen or ear heard the things that God has prepared for him, those who love him. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Well, wait, we are his workmanship. It's, it's his grace alone. It's, it's, it's his work alone, and we become his workmanship. We become his building, the building of God. We become the body of Christ. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, to follow and obey him, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, in those eternal good works, obedience to his word. Again, we can't question God's love for us in the desert. Remember, the desert can get really hot. So I'm tired of this desert. I'm tired of it being hot. It can get hot, and even that heat and even that prolonged heat can result in hurt, right? Why would God send me to the desert where I would get burned and hurt, and it would be so difficult? Why? Why, is it has to, why do I have to go to the large desert? Why can't I go to the small desert? I want to go to the desert like Philip went to, a little, little tiny strip of desert in, in the Gaza Strip. I want that kind of desert. God is loving sovereign. So again, he sends us to the desert, sometimes for a specific purpose, purpose. Sometimes for a specific purpose in our life. Sometimes both, but there's always a reason. And the tough part is, sometimes he doesn't always allow us to see or know what all that is. Because I went to the hospital, I lost a loved one, I, I lost my job, I had health issues, our, we had relational problems. I mean, there was everything in the world thrown at us, and it was, seemed like the, the worst situation that anybody could go through, and it seemed like it never ended. And I never saw any reason why we went through it. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us to say what well, was for that one person. 
It was for you to grow in this little area of your life. It would have been a small desert, but you, you took the long way around. I believe it's true from the children of Israel missing it in the wilderness to us today. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence add, add, diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and the knowledge self-control, and self-control, here it is, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brother kindness, brotherly kindness, love. And if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren or unfruitful, even in the desert, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, if you lack these things, then you're short-sighted, and even to, to the point of blindness, and you've forgotten He's cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Know why you're here on this earth. You go through the desert. You go through difficulties, man. If you're adding all these things to you, then you can see a purpose, even if you don't see the purpose in front of you. You know that God has a purpose. If these things be in you, you never, you never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't know it or see it because we get obsessed with the desert. And we lose spiritual sight and perspective, right? That's what happens. We start looking at the, the dryness of the desert. We start looking at our circumstances all around us. We start thinking about how we feel and what we're going through, and we lose spiritual sight and perspective in the midst of that. Again, it's dry. It's hard. It's lonely. It's not fun. It's too big of a trial, too big of a desert. It's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to be pleasing to our flesh. But if we simply be faithful to him in the desert... That's where he'll do the impossible. That's what happened. So he rose and went. Praise God, another example of immediate obedience. Verse 27. He rose and went. Know this, the Spirit's leading is always in line with Scripture. He said, the Spirit's leading me to do this. Well, I think the Spirit, God put it on my heart. Look, if it's not in line with Scripture, God didn't put that on your heart. The Holy Spirit's not leading you if it's not in line with Scripture. That's period. I mean, that, that's just the truth. It's always in line with Scripture. Another note is Peter and John didn't say, Philip, no, 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 no. Don't go to the desert. They were unified. Feeling called to the ministry, called to witness to someone, called to missions, called by God. Don't wait because it's in line with Scripture. Arise and go. Redeem the time. Christ told them to go. So Peter, I mean, Philip went to Samaria, then he went to the desert. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasures. The guy had, he was, a, he was a eunuch. His responsibility was to take care of the money of the queen of uh, the, the Ethiopians and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Sitting in his chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I'm going to stop there, but uh, man, I, I, I love the fact that we see another example of a divine appointment in obedience. Philip could have argued. He didn't argue. Go to the desert. Okay. I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you saved me. I know there's a purpose. I may not see or know or, or, or anything about that. I don't even know why I'm going to the desert. God just told me to go to the desert. And now there's a person there. He's reading Isaiah. God reveals to him in this moment there's a purpose. We'll get maybe point three next week, but Again, I want to encourage you this morning. Let's make sure that we're being faithful in the gospel. Let's make sure, again, take those keys to sharing the gospel and apply them in your life. You, you want to see something happen in, in our community, see something happen in our world? You want to see 
the, the, the junk that's going on in politics and, and uh, the division that's going on in our, in our land, all those things, you want to see anything change? The only thing is not going to be about a witty argument or people being on two different sides. The only thing that's going to change hearts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as the church can't be divided anything. We've got to be united, and this is why we're here. This is why we're here. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word, giving us direction. God, even with clear instructions, even with clear uh, commission, even with, with example after example after example before us, even after 2,000 years of church history, of, of you keeping your people here for this purpose of sharing the gospel, God, we confess this morning that we still mess it up. We still go off following our flesh. We still go off after serving the world. We still miss the whole purpose and point of us being here. And we're sorry, God. We, we ask for your help that we would be those who are found faithful, so doing, when you return. We don't know how much time we have left here, whether you take us home through death or uh, whether you return, God. But it's, it's coming at, at some point. We're either going to die or we're going to be raffed up, Lord. And we, we know that that day will be the most important day that we've ever experienced. The day that we get to see you face to face. The day that we'll stand before you accountable for what you've entrusted to us. And Lord, I pray that we would, again, be those faithful servants. Now that we would be united, that we would please you in our unity. Lord, I pray that you just move now as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I want to encourage you to come.